This episode is brought to you by Malomo. Malomo offers Shopify brands the tools to turn shipping from a cost center into a profitable marketing channel through branded shipment emails and order tracking pages. This episode is also brought to you by Outer. Outer creates the world's most comfortable, durable, and sustainable furniture made from proprietary fabrics that are both eco-friendly and water, stain, fade, and mold-resistant. This episode is brought to you by Gorgeous. In case you don't already know, Gorgeous is the leading customer support platform built for e-commerce companies. Stay tuned to hear from Alexandra Collis, the Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly, an online fashion powerhouse, to hear how Gorgeous enables Princess Polly to manage all of their customer service channels in one place. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 80 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I spoke with Jimmy Martin, the co-founder of Burn. That's B-R-R-R-N. Originally launching as the world's first cool temperature fitness studio in New York in May of 2018, following the pandemic, Burn pivoted to offer an at-home fitness platform full of workout videos and a custom slide board made from recyclable materials and engineered to stay secure on the floor so that you you're the only one who's moving. In this episode, Jimmy shares with us his entrepreneurial journey from growing up near Scranton, where the hit show The Office was filmed, to moving to New York City to pursue his dream of working as an actor on Saturday Night Live, to losing his first wife suddenly to cancer, forcing him to rethink his acting ambitions and motivating him to focus on his idea to create burn. Jimmy talks with us about how he turned Burn from a brick-and-mortar fitness studio into a thriving D2C brand and fitness platform, why taking improv classes helped him to build good leadership skills, and how he turns lemons into limoncello. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe or text me at 310-510-6044. Tell me your favorite brand or episode or just say hi. I'd love to hear from you. And as always, I hope you enjoy this episode. Jimmy, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really excited to hear your story in building Burn. Thanks for joining me this morning. Lee, pleasure's mine. So you are from Scranton, which I'm like, I, my husband and I binge watched The Office during COVID. Like, as, and as I know that's kind of, yeah, <laughs> but I, I think I was probably pretty late to the game. I think people probably saw many more episodes of The Office before I started, but we went full on watching that a lot. And so Scranton, of course, is where they filmed. What's it like growing up in Scranton? The town I grew up in was about 20 minutes south of there called 40 Forts, but we would go to Scranton often because, I mean, it's labeled as the electric city. I mean, over time, 
a little bit less electric, but truly electric when the show The Office was based in there. And so funny when when that happened because they renamed some streets like Michael Scott Lane and Dwight Schrute Alley. And I mean, it was I mean, I I wish Jim and Pam would have gotten a street together. I don't think they ever did, but uh, (laughs) but they definitely deserve to. But uh, yeah, it's it's it was sort of like the bigger city in that small town in northeastern Pennsylvania and a lot of innovation, a lot of mom and pop shops. President Joe Biden, you know, spent some time there growing up and it was a good place to to like lay your foundation as a as a young one. So I lived there for my entire, you know, most of my adult life until I moved away for college. But I will say about the office again, I was a little upset that P, I mean, good for Peacock, good for NBC to create their own streaming channel, but they took all the episodes of The Office off of Netflix. Yes. And you had to get uh, the Peacock subscription. So, I mean, I did. Like I said, my husband and I were literally binge watching The Office and it came to the last season and we we're like, oh, we have enough time before this leaves Netflix to get it done. And we had like calculated perfectly how much time. Well, we skipped a few nights here and there. And before we know it, we had to cram the last few episodes in before it went off. And we didn't realize because like every show I think is like half an hour or something, you know, it's like the same thing every time, but no, of course not on the last season. So we didn't calculate properly because we thought that they were the same length as the rest. And so we ended up missing like second to last because we either, we had to choose, we're either going to watch the finale or we're going to have to watch the one that's next before the finale. And I was like, forget it. We just have to watch the final one. So we like, didn't, we missed like one episode and yeah, I mean, having another subscription, uh, sorry, Peacock. I know, but my condolences uh, because, you know, the way that they sort of put a button at the end of the series was was beautiful. And I think you can watch the cold read, like the cast coming together at, at a table, reading the script aloud. They filmed that. I think Greg Daniels did a great job. He wrote and directed the final episode. It was nice. It was a nice sort of end to the story. I, I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of both. I mean, the UK version and the and the US version, but there's a formula to to binging. And I think you prove that, you, you know, you. <laughs> it doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But hey, what a great show and what a great start to this podcast. I love talking about The Office. I can talk about, we can do this for the next 45 minutes if you'd like. I'm, I'm <laughs> no, no, no. We're definitely going to go on and move on to, to I want to hear it how you even just came up with the idea for this burn board, which you did send me and I appreciate it. And I've been checking it out. You know, I'm not the most, which I say like person that workout person, like it's stiff, you know, sticking to a workout routine is challenging for me. I've got a five month old, I have full-time gig, I've got my own company, you know, so I'm like running at all cylinders. But this board, I was shocked. A, how heavy it is and B, how long it is. I'm actually quite tall. I'm like five, nine. And so I thought, "Mm, I don't know if this is going to be long enough for my long legs to be going back and forth and sliding on it. But actually it's a long board. I think most people who are, who know about slide boards know about the flimsy ones that roll up and they kind of, you know, they're like a yoga mat, but you know, unfortunately the safety Safety is a big issue with them. Most people slide while they're trying to slide. And the one thing that you want is you want durability and this thing not to move. So, you know, we're, we did a great job of finding a, a way to make a incredibly beautiful looking and durable product made out of recycled materials and designed here in, in the U.S. And we, we have a handle, so, you know, you can pick it up. It is movable. We sort of say it's the gym that fits under your couch or behind your bed. And what it's done, the burn board and how it, how it came about was really 
you know, a very interesting story. I mean, we were, we started as a brick and mortar business first. And, you know, even before that, I, as a former division one athlete, I wrestled in college and we trained on these slide boards and largely because our strength and conditioning coach knew that a lot of, a lot of like knee injuries happen in the, you know, the linear plane in, in order to, uh, to strengthen the muscles to help prevent those types of injuries, especially if you're moving in a multi-planner fashion, like wrestling or basketball, any sport that requires like higher impact, you have to train laterally. And so I remember just feeling so cooked with this like low impact cardio tool that kind of felt like a treadmill. If a treadmill and a Pilates reformer had a baby, it felt like this incredible combination of core stabilization and strength training mixed with this low impact cardio that, I mean, in as little as 10 minutes, feeling like I got like a half an hour, hour workout. It was pretty incredible. So that feeling stayed with me and became a part of our original story, our origin story, which was our brick and mortar location. Yeah. So let's take it a step back. So you, you know, you grew up in Pennsylvania. You went, where did you go to college and how did you get into wrestling? So, you know, I'm a son of a small town hairdresser and a... Me too. I mean, I'm not a son. I'm a daughter of a small town hairdresser. But yeah, my mom was a hairdresser. Oh, uh, there's something about... And I'm not sure, was, did she own her own business? Tell me a little bit about your your mom's uh, background. Like, did she have it? Like, did she work at a salon? Did she own the salon? What was, what was that? Yeah, about? so she worked at a salon, especially when I was born. So when I was super little. And then she started to do some from home. So she had her clients come to the house. So we always had a setup down in the basement. Like, and I was the guinea pig on everything. You know, it's like, let's try this perm. Let's try this haircut. Wow. And it was wow. always, you know, an interesting situation. I've had many different hairstyles growing up. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I'm, I thank my mom for, for at least helping me socialize. It, throughout the course of my life. I mean, because if you think about it, my, my mom's, uh, you know, single sole operator, her, sh- her beauty shop was connected to our house. So, I mean, she was always very present and as was my father, my father worked at a hospital nearby as a respiratory therapist and very grateful to have had an incredible upbringing where, where I was. And I have a younger sister who's two years younger than me, but, uh, there's something to be said about the, the beauty shop and, what hairdressers do. I mean, they're therapists, they are, yeah. you know, they're, they're stylists, they're, they're everything. And seeing my mom day to day out, never not being busy, her affording me the opportunity to, to have so many friends because she would do all of my, the girls that were my friends, their hair for free for prom. So, oh my gosh, yeah, like, totally. Donna Martin Taylor designs coming through. I mean, never not had good girlfriends growing up. So, so the women in my life have been incredible, largely motivated by my mom's ability to alley-oop me with free haircuts. But that is so funny. Updos. Updos is like the thing. I remember my sister and I would do updos on each other just for fun watching TV after dinner. I mean, and you think about the hairspray and the chemicals and the heat, just like frying your hair. I'm like, oh totally. God, it makes me cringe now. But back in the 80s, 90s, like you didn't care. You had no clue. <laughs> I had a mushroom haircut. I mean, I, I, you know, I was in a boy band in high school, which nice. we can get, get to. And I had the frosted tips. So, you know, <laughs> I think we sympathize yeah. in like being guinea pigs of the styles of that era. But of the 90s, yeah. Of the 90s, oh, such a great time, right? But, you know, was very fortunate to do many sports as a, you know, sports was the backdrop of my upbringing. My dad was my coach for a lot of my sports, specifically football and wrestling. And, you know, in high school, as I mentioned, I was in a boy band, but that's, you know, that could go into a whole nother story, but, but was, you know, the sort of beginning of this idea of performing in front of people, both with athletics and extracurriculars like theater or dance. But, you know, I knew that 
the way for us, for me to afford to go to college would be through a, some sort of a scholarship, academic or athletic. And I was very fortunate to get a division one athletic scholarship to George Mason University, which is in Fairfax, Virginia. It's a little bit south of DC. And that was tough, like moving away from home because, you know, when you live in a small town and sports feel like that Friday night lights feel where the whole town comes and shows up to your wrestling match or football game or soccer game, that intimacy, that ability to feel like a superstar can either get to your head or it can make, it can make you better and give you a sense of responsibility to show up for yourself and for, for others so that, you know, you can really give back to the, to the people that are allowing this experience to be the best one. So fortunate to go to George Mason, 2003 to 2007, didn't have a great college uh, athletic experience as I did high school. And I think that was for a good reason, because it taught me the value of finishing. I think for a lot of young athletes, I'm not sure if you had done uh, sports growing up, but the idea of winning, like what winning meant and you know, my dad said a long time ago that winning builds confidence and losing builds character. And I'm happy that I learned how to lose, like in a time where I should, I, I've expected to win. And the idea of winning to me by the end of my collegiate wrestling career was, was finishing and being able to go through something challenging and come out, come out on the other side better for it. And many other waves of triumph and trauma had come into my, li- my life shortly after, but yeah, I was super happy to go four hours south to kind of understand this new territory independent of of that level of intimacy that I was that I expected growing up in a small town and having everybody know your name to be to go somewhere completely different and have to start from zero again was I think is extremely beneficial to anybody who's trying to start something in their life business or or whatnot. Yeah, get out of the comfort zone a little bit. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. I love that quote, winning builds confidence and losing builds character. That's really great. Thanks. Yeah. Well, yeah, credit Jim Martin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for that. <laughs> we're, we're all about sound bites in my family. And, and uh, you'll, you might hear a few throughout the course of this podcast, but I, you know, I would have tons of quotes in my, in my bedroom and in, in the garage where I would lift weights with my, my dad and my, my teammates. And yeah, like the, just little reminders. It was like pre-Pinterest, right? So like, I guess my, my dad could even been a first mover for like the Pinterest game because he had all these little cutouts and stuff around to help motivate me. And, um, but yeah, again, I'm extremely fortunate for the upbringing that I, that I had, but you know, how I got to New York was a weird way and, and, you know, just didn't really have a plan after college to be quite honest with you. So yeah. So it looks like you studied business and communication. And so, yeah, how did you get to New York and what did you want to be when you grew up? Like what was, it sounds like there was no plan, but early days, did you have any sense for where you wanted to, what you wanted to do? For the longest time, when you're a coach's son, you sort of do what you're told. And, you know, I wanted to make my family proud. I, you know, the idea of being a lawyer or a doctor, any of the sort of, if the track was pre something that was sort of always the first choice, but along the way, I've really liked the idea of being a team player, but also being a leader on a team. So going back to the beauty shop, like seeing my mom as an entrepreneur who's had her business since, you know, the, the early eighties and she still works today. And the value of entrepreneurship, I didn't see it as something attainable at that time because maybe I was too close to it. But my senior year of college, I I won an entrepreneurship competition for a crazy idea that I had and did with my with my classmates. And we won this competition out of like probably around like a hundred teams that competed for this thing. And I remember 
the teacher coming up to me who, who worked at the patent office and she was like, hey, this is like actually a, an interesting idea. You should, you know, I can help you if you want to pursue it. And I had made the decision at that time. I was like, it's like, oh, thank you. But, you know, I want to go to New York to be a, a late night comedy writer and performer. So uh, I think I'm going to do that. And she was like, good luck. Uh, good luck with that. And so <laughs> wish me well, had a smile on her face, even though I know she was frowning on the inside. But I mean, after school, I wanted to go to New York. I, I was doing theater briefly after college, like community theater. And I got like a big break to perform in uh, in a regional theater show in DC at the, at the studio theater for a play called The History Boys. And around like 2000 and 2007, I won the Tony Award in New York for best play. And, you know, I, did, I performed in high school, like nothing extravagant, took an acting class or two in college. But I just, there's something about performing or writing that like really spoke to me. And so had done theater in DC, got into all the, all the different unions within like six months, which was incredible. And I was like, I think I can do this. And so I decided to move in 2009 to, to New York, cold winter day. And uh, my, uh, my credit card, like literally the first week of being there, like I got my identity stolen and oh. <laughs> <laughs> all the money that I had uh, went to somebody else. So that was fun. But going back to the whole like fish out of water thing, like I didn't know anybody in New York. I mean, granted it was, it's like two hours and some away from my family, but starting over, not knowing anybody and kind of like just, again, figuring things out again. But my passion to want to express myself and to make people laugh and make people feel comfortable was was the driving force. So I was very fortunate. I mean, after all the crazy part-time jobs, one of which was, you know, passing out AM New York newspapers at six in the morning to busy New Yorkers who want nothing to do with you, let alone eye contact, you know, working as a Starbucks barista so I can get health insurance, working at a gym, as a personal trainer, which was a really big, you know, thing to that carried me through, and I, I can explain how and why. So, but you originally moved to New York to pursue acting and comedy, or mostly comedy. Anything, any any gig that I can get hired to do. I mean, I got, I was able to do some commercials that weren't so much like you know, commercials are silly. Sometimes they're they're not silly, but they can pay really well too. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to get on SNL. I wanted to find any way to work at Thirty Rock, as anybody would, right? So I took improv and sketch comedy classes at the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York, which has since closed, unfortunately, because of because of COVID. But I was like, I wanna, I wanna make people laugh. I wanna, you know, I, I did some funny sketch stuff in in high school and college. And I was like, wow, that could be a career. That's that's nuts. And so taking classes allowed me to network with people to understand the value of listening in a scene. I know a lot of improv places, corporations would hire improv, you know, places like Second City in Chicago or at UC, or UCB to help, help their like employees listen to one another because improv, I mean, when you're figuring something as you go along, like you have to listen to the person that you're in a scene with and learn to live up to that yes and sort of tenant that's part of part of improv. But I was doing so many different jobs that it became like I had like three full-time jobs trying to pursue this thing. And it was very hard. And, but, you know, through improv, I met people that allowed me to get hired as a greeting card writer. I got hired as a copywriter that led to me working on big ad campaigns like that were, you know, with commercials and billboards throughout New York city. Again, all the while doing personal training, like jobs that I can like do from home or go somewhere and not feel tied to a, 40 hour work week, you know, even though my work week was hurt. It's so hard. I mean, when you're doing, when you're in that 
kind of career modeling, acting, whatever it is, comedy. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's so hard to have an actual job that helps pay your bills. I mean, it's because you have to be available all the time for anything that could, could come up, which rarely does. Right. 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 And it's, it's a grind. It's, I did modeling for many years and it's, uh, yeah. So you, so you understand. So, you know, you go to go sees, you go to these auditions and you have to, so, so I found a lot of the jobs based around who would let me leave for work and exactly. personal training, doing something with personal training or doing freelance writing was like the perfect setup for me. So around 2013, I had, was fortunate to train a woman that had moved from, from Boston. She was a Harvard professor who was starting her psychiatry practice in New York city. And it was summer and it was, she was super hot. And she was talking about how, she just like loads the heat. She's like, I love the fall. I love the winter. I am my thinnest. I work out my best and I feel incredible. Which is like the opposite of most human beings. I think most people like gain the most probably in hibernation during winter, like don't want to leave the house. So that's, that was unusual, right? And in improv, they say follow the unusual thing and heighten it. So, so that was like interesting to me. And, And granted around 2013, I was already two years into actually, I, I got to work on Saturday Night Live. I was a, a background performer. I was one of like. So wait, how did this happen? How did you get this SNL thing? All through just like, you know, casting. Did you have an agent at the time? So I was with, uh, so Stuart Talent, which is uh, an agency that st- is still here today. They they were my rep for commercial for commercials. I had done stuff with, it was called, um, what was it? So Clear Talent Group. Yeah, I was with them for both legit and for commercial. So uh, Phil Cassis was my agent and he saw me doing improv and I got to do like all I had was an Olive Garden commercial. It was like, it was cool to be able to have some, some stuff to be because of that, like other opportunities opened up and I met the head writer at the time at SNL who like, who went to my high school four years ahead of me. And so I was like talking with him. He was like, Hey, you know, I can look at if you have a writing packet you know, you can work your way into being a writer's assistant. And I was like, oh my gosh, like you see, so like the networking within the show. So I was on track of doing that the time by the time I had this story with talking to this Harvard professor. So she talks about cold being like an ally, not an enemy for her, for her to feel and perform her best. And I went home that day. I was like, wow, if all that stuff is true, then why are people like working out in cooler temperatures, like indoors? Like why hasn't there been a a cool temperature fitness studio and went down this rabbit hole and was just searching cold gyms, cool workout studios. And I couldn't find anything anywhere. And I'm pretty good at finding stuff on Google. And the pun burn came to me because of the limited research that I found that had to do with like exposing yourself to cooler temperatures can allow you to burn more calories than you would in hot or ambient temperatures because of what your body has to go through in order to stay warm specifically between the temp, you know, the, the range of like 41 to 64 degrees Fahrenheit. And so the, the idea came to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like a group exercise workout program, very similar to like what was happening at the time with soul cycle and berries, but with cold and we can do like winter themed workouts in this fridge. And so the idea was thought. And then three months later, I had, you know, I was married at that time to a woman named Limery, who I met in college she was also a division one athlete and she had gotten diagnosed with, with cancer and everything sort of stopped. The fun of showing up to a comedy show didn't feel the same. I had a different responsibility at that time. So trying my best to pay for 
incredibly expensive hospital bills while she was going through chemotherapy. She fought as hard as she could for seven months, but unfortunately she had passed away May 12th of 2014. So, so at 29, once again, I was starting over and trying to figure out what to, what to do. It was a very tough time, but I mean, that's, that is like brutal. That is really tough. And that was, you both were living in New York at the time. Where, yeah. And then moved back to uh, her because I met her at George Mason and she was, uh, her family lived like 20 minutes from the campus. So she lived there when we got married in 2010, we moved up to New York. She moved up to New York with me. I moved there a year before her to sort of say, Hey, I'm going to figure this acting thing out. And, uh, but she, she was incredible. And uh, she worked at Citibank in Union Square. She was a business banker there and until she got sick, but yeah, we moved, we lived in Weehawken, New Jersey, where ironically is where I now live uh, again. And um, my late wife and I moved back to Virginia when, when we were told it was terminal and she had four weeks and to like to the day. Yeah, it was, it was a tough time. And it's, you know, it's so tough to talk about it, even though it's been like seven years, but I'm a big believer in trusting the process. And, and it's hard to like, look at mm-hmm. that and go, how is that fair? You know, how is it fair for a healthy person to suddenly realize they have cancer with no pre-existing conditions and then fight it, be told that she's cancer free. And then a month later, a flare up happens and she's told she has four weeks to live. It was just like, it was terrible, but I took that as an opportunity to grow, not to be defeated. And she was like, burns an amalgamation of all the things that you're passionate about. She's like, don't talk about it anymore. Share it with the world. You'll figure it out. And she's like, it's the proudest thing I'll never get to see. And I was like, okay. And I came back with a vengeance and left everything, called my agent, said, Hey, thank you for the opportunities along the way. I'm, I'm redirecting career paths right now. And that was tough too. Cause I was also grieving the loss of who I was. Like, am I still this guy that's trying to be a late night comedy writer, do all these right. other things? Like it, it gave me a chance to put like blinders on and to go 100% into this entrepreneurial track, which I didn't know would work out or not. So, you know, I came back in 20, you know, July, 2014, which is pretty crazy because you were kind of like, is this around the same time where you had this guy at 30 Rock or SNL, right? Yeah, Who was yeah. like paving a path for you essentially yeah. with the acting world yeah. and writing. So, you know, it's, this, that's the thing is like the my dream was about to come true. I'm, again, another step closer on the stairway, right? To, yeah. to being able to, you know, fulfill the dream that brought me to New York. But I just didn't feel right anymore. It just It just felt like, I had gotten where I wanted to go and I was going to take all those learnings into this new path. And I'm happy that I did because it, it sparked a new, a new way for me to think about what I wanted to do with my life. And I got to meet my business partner, Johnny Adamick. And how did you meet him? So Johnny, he went to the university of Wisconsin. He was Bucky the Badger, which is incredible. So he feels more comfortable with a mask over his head in public, which is a bad joke that he tells me to stop telling, but I refuse (laughs) to, but he's a, he's a small town kid from Wisconsin. And one of those outliers too, who they did sports, but was also involved in theater, got a full ride to, uh, well, he was at uh, university of Wisconsin, Madison. And then he went to NYU, got a full ride at NYU to study public health and, lived in Italy for a little bit and then came back. He's a dual citizen, a Italian American. It's the what the first thing he says before his own name when he introduces himself to people. But he's, <laughs> he's one of those guys that 
is incredibly passionate about people and takes such a linear based train of thought to, to, to answer very hard questions. And he was the person that made my strength stronger because I don't have his skill sets. And I think when working in creative pairs, finding your opposite is absolutely essential. You can have the similar passion, but man, when you can find that person that literally fills your gaps, it's life-changing. And, and it was for, for him and I, because he had pivoted from working as a public health official for Mayor Bloomberg under his OBC task force to doing private health endeavors. He was working as a private trainer. He was a certified yoga instructor, and he was trying to create his own platform. And I met him in the private training space in Soho. And uh, he just had a caffeinated personality. You know, he was the type of guy that wears span, you know, shorts over the spandex. I'm a guy that wears just the spandex. So he was like, okay, so we, you know, it, it was like same, same, but different uh, vibe. But there was just something about him that was glowing. And I was like, I think he's the other half to this cold studio idea. And so I confided in him. I said, hey, can we get coffee? And I told him about it. And he's like, He's like, let me go back and check out the public health research and see if this is, it is everything that you say that it is. And he found so many more studies about it and got so excited and wrote this like caps lock email to me the next day. <laughs> like we got to be business partners. I mean, I literally have the napkin that I wrote that we wrote like that we would be 50, 50 partners together, like hanging up because it was, and it's all in caps now that I'm looking at it, which is kind of funny. funny. So, but it, you know, we were like, he's like, let's do this together. So we did a, a, a trial with the both of us in a beer fridge in Brooklyn at Six Point Breweries Beer Fridge. And then I have a friend that owns an ice factory in my hometown. And we did trials with my friends there, my, you know, some of my mom's beauty shop customers, as well as mm-hmm. some of my friends who were former college athletes, exercised them in, in, you know, a little colder temperature than we were expecting. So we had a range that we were playing with. And then we had like research and he collated all this, you know, all this research to talk about like why, why cool temperatures are better for athletic performance. And, and then we went to raising money and going back to personal training. I went to all my private training clients and said, Hey, I'm doing this thing. And because I had worked with them for years, they, they trusted me and what I could provide with my service. And they were like the first investors for us. And we sure enough, we raised a million and a half dollars, you know, <laughs> three years later and opened up the brick and mortar location on 107 West 20th street, which is, you know, right there at fitness alley in the heart of where everything was happening pre COVID. And, you know, the dream officially became the reality on that day. That's amazing. So what was it like? Tell me how it was that first day that you opened. I mean, was that just such a thrill or what? Oh, I mean, a lot of Advil, uh, a lot of coffee, (laughs) not a lot of sleep. You know, when you bear witness to how SNL puts their show together, you realize like, oh, okay, this is why they have like month breaks in between, you know, certain shows because just the level of intensity that it takes to like, to roll the red carpet out every single day, every single week is, is exhausting. And it really does take a team effort. So it was a lot, you know, like this is our first time doing things. We're not people who have opened up things before. I mean, like I said, I was doing a bunch of odd jobs before this. It was really like leaning on the backs of our investors to help inform the best decisions for the company. Again, we were very research driven. So we took our time with collating the science to make sure that this didn't come off gimmicky, that we really were providing for a safe and inimitable fitness experience. So yeah, it was really challenging, but I think anything that's worth having is hard. And obviously not being a stranger to adversity, this just seemed like another opportunity to grow. So we leaned in 
And we learned along the way, you know, we launched May 1st, 2018. We got a lot of press as being like, you know, the world's first and only cool temperature fitness experience. It was a lot to give people goosebumps in more than one way, you know, and <laughs> we, uh, again, bad soundbite, but you asked for it. Uh, but you know, it, it was, it was tough, but as you learn in theater, you're only as strong as your cast. And I treat it very much like all of the jobs that I had before, but tried to put our spin onto it. You know, I hired actors as our front desk people because I knew how hard it was to find a business that would allow you to leave for audition. So I was like, I'm going to be that employer that actually empowers them versus making them feel bad that they have to leave. I'm going to hire instructors that feel familiar, even though it's a first impression, you know, people that have a story that might be looking for a shot to be a group X instructor, but, but wasn't one by trade. And we had this incredible team and we got incredible press and we were tracking, you know, upward. We were, we were increasing top line revenue every single month. And we're on with live with Kelly and Ryan, the New York times. I mean, all the press you can imagine. And it was all because of the incredible team that we had. And the one thing that we did in our studio, again, being a winter themed brand, we had a slide board, we had a burn board in the studio. And so not only were we innovating the workout environment, we're also changing the way that people moved. And aside from not having any other competition in the cool temperature space, there wasn't competition in the way that we were moving in that workout environment. And so people were coming out after the class, you know, drenched in sweat going, how the heck was I sweating in 50 degrees? Well, you're on a burn board sliding laterally and feeling like you're bringing out your inner Apollo Ono or bringing out like, like memories from your past while you're rollerblading or skiing and yeah, rollerblading. That's what it is. I that's like, it. This, yeah, I rollerbladed when I was a kid. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. I'm like, this, yeah. So it's super fun. So you opened this up in 2018. You know, it sounds like you probably had a first great year, uh, year and a half, and then COVID. Then the world changed. Then <laughs> <laughs> everybody had to pivot. You know, uh, we we knew as a brand that our introduction into, into the health and wellness space was going to be through a brick and mortar location. In 2019, we were, again, trying to think about how do we break that four wall model and reach people globally, you know, because knowing the challenges and thank goodness we had incredible brands to, to follow like soul cycle and what, what have you and understand their journey to scaling. We knew it would take a lot of time and, you know, unless, unless you're backed by a, a fund doing it by yourself off of the revenue that you create is, is, not impossible, but it's, it's a, it's a tall order. So we were like, okay, we have this slide board experience that everybody's talking about. How do I get a board? How do I get a board? And I think the best brands listen to their customers obsessively to improve the end to end experience. And so we were like, okay, what if we have this slide board experience independent of temperature that we do at home, you know, low tech, it's not a connected hardware All they need is just a, a subscription, a board and a little bit of time. And we'll come in on the lower end of the market as, again, as this low-tech experience that um, allows people to, you know, improve their posture, their core, their, their thigh, you know, every, the, it's really one of the best lower body workouts you can do, but also it's fun and challenging. And we say like those two adjectives rarely exist in the same sentence, you know? So we were working on doing that six months before we had a close, we were mandated closed. And it completely changed the course of our business. I mean, we literally made a lateral move as a company and we haven't looked back. You slid into the board business, basically. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
But it, but again, the D to C is not brick and mortar. You know, it again, this theme of starting over, starting over, starting over. So my my business partner Johnny, he you know he had a, a one year old baby boy at that time living in a crowded East Village apartment with his wife Kelly. He and her moved to their in laws' place in Minnesota. My wife and I, my wife Rachel and I, we um, uh, we were in Prospect Heights for a long time, but moved in June right after getting Zoom married. We were on the track of the we were pioneers uh, in our, at least our friend circle of the Zoom married. Uh, what is what do you mean by Zoom married? Oh, we got so we got married over Zoom. We oh. yeah, so we had a, a small private wedding June of uh, of 2020. And so like you guys kind of had this ceremony maybe with like you guys and maybe your parents, their family, yep. and then the rest was on Zoom. That's it. Yeah, we had a we had a laptop on a chair as if yeah. they were everybody was in attendance, and we had a couple hundred people watching with good Wi-Fi. Uh, us change vows and start a new chapter in our lives. So. So a lot was happening and Johnny was like, look, I'll handle the back end stuff, the supply chain logistics, like finding out how to build a Shopify page. <laughs> He's like, we have the studio, you know, it's not being used. Let's film as much content as we possibly can and let's get ready to go. And, and the good thing was, Lise, we had 23,000 people that came through our doors. We had so much market research about what customers liked didn't like. So coming up with our categories and the types of workouts that we did, you know, 10 through 60 minute workouts, it was all there. I just had to put it to use in a different way. So, you know, we filmed hundreds of videos in that month and were able to bring it all together, worked with incredible partners and officially launched, you know, sorry, I should say soft launch July 1st of 2020 burn at home. So are you saying with these videos that you took, was this like during COVID when you weren't allowed to let anybody else come in the studio, but you were in there just filming away? Beginning in May, we started to film because, you know, we wanted to understand what we couldn't, couldn't do. I mean, having a business partner who's a public health official really helped because I leaned on him for like best practices of like, okay, if we do have people coming in, how do we socially distance? How do we do all the things that we need us to make for the best and safest experience? So you know, we had 18 employees and, you know, 11 of them were, were instructors. So how to navigate, how to, you know, be able to pay them without it affecting their unemployment, you know, how to do it like properly and not illegally. <laughs> how do we understand what we use for, from our profits to dedicate to this new, this new path, getting approval from all of our investors, having conversations with them. Is this something that they would get behind? And all, you know, those things took time. So how many investors did you have at the time when you had to kind of pivot and tell them, hey, this is the new business model? Around 25. Yeah. All of our investors have been friends and family friends and family. So everybody was like, all right, sounds good. Yeah, good idea. We need to do something clearly. So hundred percent. They were like full speed ahead. You know, we got some follow-on investment to to help that too, which was good. Yeah. And then and then went went to work. But we were very surprised on how how much this clicked. It took a little bit until the new year for there to be traction. Again, sending boards to editors and taking the very little that we had to tell this story. The thing that the inciting incident that really took this over to the next level was when we got introduced to Apollo Ono, you know, eight-time world champion. I mean, he, Olympic gold medalist, uh, former Dancing with the Stars winner. Uh, again, all this was like pre-Instagram. 
but uh, incredible Olympic speed skater. And, you know, he's, he caught wind of us and became an investor and strategic partner. So having that validation because, you know, he used slide boards to, you know, since he was 12 years old to train what they call off, off ice training when he wasn't on the training on the track to help him become a better athlete. And so it's really the slide board in general. And we, I think we should get into the history of the slide board has been primarily a training tool for collegiate professional and Olympic athletes. I had no idea it was like part of actual training. Like I thought it was just some fun little thing, you know? <laughs> it's, it's been the secret ingredient for a lot of, I mean, you, you name it, whether you're a tennis pro, basketball player, baseball player, I mean, all the sports, they strength and conditioning coaches know the value of training laterally and how that helps with ankle, knee, hip health. And, you know, all those underdog muscles that people don't say like, hey, I'm working this today. Those stabilizer muscle groups, they'll come back and get you later in your life. And when, when you need to move effectively, if they're not trained properly, you're not going anywhere. So the slide board also too, you know, in the nineties, Reebok had a slide, uh, a slide board that was a little flimsy, but they were kind of piggybacking off the whole step aerobics era. And so they had this like slide aerobics thing that was happening. If you, if you remember from the movie heavyweights with Ben Stiller, there's a scene where he's, he's sort of this like bombastic, you know, instructor coach that at a kid's camp where they're trying to lose weight. A fact, I mean, I guess they, they call it like a fat kid's camp and they're sliding on a slide board and it's kind of funny. A lot of people go, Oh, that's the thing from heavyweights. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's exactly what it is. Uh, so Ben still, if you're listening, we'd love to have you in a commercial. I have some ideas, but, uh, <laughs> but we, you know, we wanted to make it fun and challenging so that it could appeal to anybody really um, multi-generational tool. So, you know, youth athletes all the way to someone in their seventies, that's using it for proprioceptive training at a physical therapy clinic. So it's uh there's a lot of potential with it, and we're super happy to, you know, really lead the market in this type of movement. Did you know that brands like Magic Spoon, Mudwater, and Caraway get an average of 20 times the return on their investment when using Malomo? Customers track their orders four to five times before it even gets to their door. And instead of sending them to the carrier's tracking page, Malomo built a tool to help brands optimize post-purchase marketing. Use order status emails and tracking pages to spur engagement and drive additional purchases by showing new products, sales, subscription options, and other engaging content simply by being proactive in managing delivery communications. Get 30% off your first three months with Malomo today by going to gomalomo.com slash stairway to CEO. While most people living in colder climates are getting ready to bring their outdoor furniture indoors to protect it during the winter months, customers of the popular brand Outer don't have to lift a finger. After all, outdoor furniture should stay outdoors, right? Made from durable materials like all-weather wicker that withstands temperatures down to negative 220 degrees with a marine-grade frame and legs, Outer ensures your outdoor sofa will stay good as new until spring and for many years to come. So if you're preparing to bundle up this winter, go get some marshmallows to roast over the fire pit and enjoy some cozy time outdoors with Outer. You can get $200 off on furniture purchases by using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. That's $200 off amazing furniture using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com.
I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. I have a quote and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. The Gorgeous platform allows our agents a seamless place to just do it all. We are really there for the customer every step of the way if they want. Our customers expect quality and efficiency where they are. So the real question is, how do you get quality and efficiency across every single platform? And then once you have it, how do you maintain it? And I believe that with the Gorgeous platform, we can do that. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, go to gorgeous.com and mention podcast for two months free. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. When you had to pivot, when maybe it wasn't that moment, but maybe there was a moment. I'm sure there was. I feel like every business owner goes through this where there's such a huge challenge and kind of this really crazy moment where you're like, are we going to get through this? Like, is this, could this be the end? Yeah. It seems like every other week that's a, that, that feeling comes, <laughs> that, that feeling comes and goes. I think it's a feeling that every entrepreneur should feel because it keeps you on your toes and not your heels. It is this new territory is so different than running a brick and mortar business. I mean, we'll eventually become click and mortar, having hopefully a, an experiential retail play, whether it be at our, our studio right now, which is in hibernation. We, we, we're not running classes, but we we will be at Showfields uh, in October here in New York City until March. So we're doing some really creative experiential marketing. But I think that the growing pains of, of pivoting hit you in ways that you don't expect. And you would think like, oh, I'm mostly behind my computer working uh, today, you know, if I'm not, if we're not filming classes, but all the things that you have to worry about with supply chain logistics and technical issues, you know, you, you, you build technology. I mean, we have, we have hundreds of on-demand videos that from 10 unique categories. So if someone has a login issue, what do you do? So we rehired some of our, our team back because uh, we wanted to, you know, continue working with them, instructors, studio managers that became customer success agents, you know, new skills they had to learn. But yeah, the growing pains are constant. And I think the the way to get through them is is to just ask better questions and not to not to feel like you have all the answers. Cause you'll 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 never have all the answers. We're constantly learning new stuff about how to execute our business every single day. I mean, and you've been through so much. I mean, you lost a spouse, you built a you know, brick and mortar business that was hit really hard during the pandemic. How do you get back on your feet? Like what advice do you have for other people on staying persistent and strong through really tough times? Uh, look alongside you, who you can find your troubles with, whether it be your therapist, whether it be the fitness instructor that you're, that's speaking to you across the screen. Moving your body and opening up your mouth to express yourself, I think, not think, I know is the best way to combat those feelings of like self-destruction. Yeah, I wanted to quit a lot throughout the process. I mean, from the beginning of beginning the brick and mortar studio to this D2C and there's nothing like not knowing when money's going to come in. You know, I felt that way as a poor starving artist. I mean, hence <laughs> starving. Actually, I wasn't starving. I ate pretty well. Uh, but yeah. But you still never know when you're going to get your next job. You'll never know. Yeah. But, you know, the thing that keeps me up at night is just in, in a good way is knowing the impact that we're making in people's homes. I mean, 
the reviews that we get, the the interest that we get from investors going, wow, like this is really interesting. And we see, you know, your product market fit. Like I have to step back and go, holy crap, like this didn't have to happen. It's easy to, to get lost in numbers and go, well, we could have done better that, you know, the day before. But man, like expressing gratitude and, and be, still being around when so many of my friends and so many of our neighbors lost everything. And the fact that we had another vertical to pursue. And I think like if you are an entrepreneur trying to start a brick and mortar fitness concept, you need to be thinking about how to scale digitally as well. I think it's impossible to not think about that. And I think a lot of businesses are like understanding how to reimagine the workplace and what does it mean to run a business in 2021 and beyond. And so we're lucky that we're still here because we were thinking outside the box you know, this outside this cold box. And we're excited to to deliver a incredibly affordable and effective new way to work out that allows people to break the sweat and not the uh, break a sweat, not the bank. So uh, I'm super, super pumped about what's ahead. <laughs> so what's the biggest thing you've learned about being a leader? That to be a, a great leader, you have to be an incredible follower. You know, it goes back to the improv days. Like a lot of people that would initiate scenes off of like that one word suggestion who would like go right into it and make it about them. You don't want to do a scene with them. It's like, that's what stand-up comedy is for. Being funny and improv is, is being supportive of the person that you're in a scene with. And it's really easy, I think, as a solo operator or someone that's running a business alongside somebody else with other people to white knuckle every aspect of the process, especially when your back's against the wall. But the times where we felt defeated or like we didn't know when the next investment check was going to come in or, man, is this really sticking the way that it is? Just like letting go and just trusting the process. I know how cliche that sounds, but it really does allow things to become more fluid and like listening and taking your time and not feeling like you have to rush into every opportunity. Be selective. And also the riches are in the niches. You know, there are a lot of connected fitness experiences out there that I would liken to like, I joked and said like, okay, this one popular brand, they're, they're like the Brad Pitt of whatever. We're happy being the Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell is an Oscar winning actor. There's room for everybody, right? It's just knowing how to speak to those customers. And so as a winter themed brand that you can do year round, we are trying to tell people, look, if you haven't invested in at-home equipment because of price, $28 a month can get you a, a burn board and a $15 subscription a month. If you're somebody that that's a seasoned athlete and you have various equipment at home, this is incredibly affordable and a great way to add this to what you already do. And, you know, we have four distribution channels. We have our D2C, which is through our burn shop and Amazon. We have wholesale through like mass retail, which or I, I can't reveal who we're going to be going with, but coming out shortly. Oh, come on. I know, I know, I know. I can tell you offline, but. Just spill the beans. <laughs> the, the ones that come to the top of your head, you might, I wouldn't say you're too far off, but specialty retail, a licensing track lead for, for personal trainers that could get a certification through an accredited you know, uh, institution like ACE or NASM to be a board certified trainer, as well as brick and mortar studios that are looking for a value add for their group exercise classes, having a track for us to license to them. And then medical, like PT offices, all, you know, it's incredible how expansive the business has become because we were forced to go another way. I'm actually grateful that 
we were pushed in this direction because we can make even more of an impact globally than we could if we stayed where we started. Yeah. You definitely turned some lemons into lemonade, it sounds like. Yes. As my as my Italian business partner would say, lemons to lemoncello. Uh, he's a fan <laughs> of lemoncello. And I, I got to tell you, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it either. <laughs> my parents love it. They went to Italy for like the first time ever and they are obsessed with lemoncello. It's so. the best. It's the best way to end a, a nice meal. So. It is. So before we wrap up here, what's some final advice that you have for aspiring entrepreneurs that are tuning in, thinking about taking the leap into entrepreneurship or, you know, maybe they're working full-time somewhere and they've got this side hustle and they're not sure when to start it and, and really go all in. And just in general, what, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs? If something's keeping you up at night, answer that call. And before you, you know, share it with the world and ask someone to help make it a reality with you, know that the best thing you can do to complement what you, your pursuits as an entrepreneur is to be the biggest critic of the thing that you want to do and to try to constantly poke holes in it, run it through that test, ask people, hey, what do you think about this? Comedians do it all the time for jokes. They're like, hey, does this, do you think this would work? Most of the process is revision. It's taking this thing, distilling it, distilling it, distilling it. And then the execution is like the little part at the very end, the most important part, but but much smaller than refining the thing that you want to share with the world. So finding that unique selling point and knowing that innovation is not about change. It's about improvement. Change, change is like we have to just do something brand new that no one's done before, but there's a lot of brands that are getting acquired by other brands that are just making improvements with technology or service that a bigger brand sort of acquires and to make their bigger brand better. And that's incredible too. So Innovation comes in many different forms and just know that you're stronger when you're working together with people. So if you are someone that wants to be a solo operator, doing your own thing, more power to you. I found that, you know, as a former improviser, working with the team and working towards a common goal was the way that we got to where we hope to be. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that you say it distilled the idea. This process of refining is something that I think is overlooked a lot. And I think that you know, a lot of people want to have the perfect name for their company and the perfect this and that, everything all done, the branding great from the get-go. And it's really, if you just start and then you refine it, you actually, that's how you get to the perfect logo, the perfect branding, the perfect name. It's its its a process. Yeah. If, if people knew how many times Hollywood you know, scripts were rewritten before you see them on screen, they would lose their mind. Yeah, it's nothing's ever done in the first attempt. And I think that that's important. And then luckily having that background allowed me to realize, oh yeah, it's it's a script is never done. I mean, SNL, Lauren Michaels is notorious for saying, we don't go on at 11.30 because we're done. We go on because it's 11.30. And if the show's ready, then hopefully it, hopefully it is. But at some point you just have to put it out there and, and get a reaction and, and then and then move forward from there. Speaking of that, when you're talking about what happens behind the scenes, have you seen that? I think it's Netflix, the movies that made us, where they go behind the scenes and you yes. like see how, you know, these crazy movies. I think one was like Home Alone and. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's mind blowing. And it, it, I feel like I keep endorsing SNL here, but there was one, James Franco did a documentary called Saturday Night. And I think it's on Hulu. John Malkovich is the host and sort of they're exploring the Monday through Saturday behind the scenes process. And this is when like Will Forte was on the cast and Bobby Moynihan, 
if you ever wonder what it's like behind the scenes of how the show comes to life, I highly recommend watching that documentary. It's it's fascinating. I'm going to have to watch that now because that's really, I'm so curious what goes on. You have to watch the rest of The Office first, as we said in the beginning. <laughs> those last two episodes in, you know, maybe Peacock free trial, bust those two's out, two out yeah. and then say, hey, sorry. Got to close that office chapter. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for your time today. It was really awesome hearing your very inspiring story. Thanks so much for your time and joining us. Ali, thank you. Pleasure's mine. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing. 